Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Psalms. Today and Thursday we'll do a very much beloved Psalm, the 23rd Psalm. This Psalm has brought much comfort to many people. But you know, for me, this, is, this Psalm is very much a testimony of a loser. A testimony of a person who was helpless in many ways. And many scholars believe that this psalm was written, uh, it was definitely written by David because it said so, but this psalm was written towards the end of David's life when he looked back at his entire life and reminisced about it. And so it's very much a testimony of what happened throughout his life his successes, his failures, his becoming one of the greatest kings in history. And as he looks back, he speaks very fondly of what God, his shepherd, did for him. But let me read this psalm in its entirety first, and then I'll talk about it from verse 1 to 4. And on Thursday, we'll look at verse 5 and 6. I decided to split this psalm into two, although it's such a short psalm, because I wanted us to take time to think about our situation and the promises and the testimony that David gives to us of how God leads his life and makes, gives him great success. So let's pray first. Father, as we read this testimony of King David, as we read of and imagine his helplessness and your presence in his life. As we read about how you guided him and lifted him and protected him, may this also be the testimony of our lives, that at the end of each of our lives we may, not, we may look back and not feel or try to justify our works, but we may look back with great gratitude and to say, as David said in this psalm, Help us, Lord, to you speak to us, Lord, as we reflect on this psalm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why do I call this the testimony of a loser. After all, David was far from being a loser. He was one of the greatest, if not the greatest king in all of history. Not only was he successful in all his conquests, he was also a wise king to his own nation. And for such a successful king, the last thing that he, any successful king would describe himself would be to draw the analogy of a sheep. Because sheep are the most stupid, mindless, dependent, um, 
vulnerable creatures one could think of. When one thinks of sheep, one thinks of someone with lacking a sense of direction, lacking wisdom, lacking motivation, lacking any ability to make wise decisions. Isaiah describes humanity as all we like sheep have gone astray. The understanding of sheep is really a very derogatory term for any person. And for David, this successful king, to describe himself as a sheep, perhaps tells us something about his inner life, the things that were really happening to us. And often when we look at very successful people, we think they must be extremely intelligent, they must be forceful, they must have drive, they must be vicious even and aggressive. And yet this testimony tells us that the opposite was true for David. And the opposite can be true for us too. That in the quietness of our moments, we can admit that we too are clueless most of the time. We lack a sense of direction. We lack a sense of wisdom. We lack resources. And that we can lie back, trust God day by day to lead us. Now let's look at this psalm then. David begins with, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. What he's saying then is, as a conclusion, all of his needs are being met. Whether it is his internal needs for guidance, for wisdom, for sustenance, it is being met. But then he describes it thus, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What's so important about being allowed for sheep to be allowed to lie down in green pastures? The reality is because a sheep is a very vulnerable and helpless being, it is always susceptible, it is always a victim of predators, of wolves, of lions, of bears, of anything that wants a meal or wants to maul an animal. And it would always be that sheep because it is helpless, it runs very slowly, um, it has, some have horns but most of them are unable to defend themselves. They fall easy prey to predators. David knew that. Throughout his life, he faced many, many external enemies. There was Goliath. There were the Philistines. Throughout his, throughout his kingship, he faced enemies of all sorts. And for David then to say that at the end of the day, when I look back, even in spite of all these situations, I could lie down and eat and rest. It talks about an ability to find peace, an ability to find rest in a hostile world. We do live in a hostile world and there are so many times when we feel like there will never be rest. Some of our homes are battlefields. It's almost like we sleep with our enemies there is much conflict between husband and wife, children and parents, siblings. There seems to be no peace at home. And sometimes we feel like the last place I want to be is home because I cannot lie down and rest. And yet in the midst of all this, God says that he can give us peace if we learn to rely on him. One of the realities of the sheep is that it trusts its shepherd. 
Even when they can see a wolf standing in the distance, waiting to prey on it, if the shepherd stands there and says, you may now lie down, the sheep learns to submit to the shepherd. One of the things I've learned very much is that of submission to God. There are times when I want to fight back, especially in a very toxic work environment. I remember when I was practicing law, I was in an office that was extremely toxic. The boss was toxic. My colleagues saw me as competition. And yet as I submitted to God, I realized that that was one of the best lessons of my life. I learned to love a colleague who treated me as a rival, um, who always tried to undermine me. And each time I brought it to the Lord in prayer, God taught me how to love her, how to do, make gestures of peace rather than hostility. And I found her to be an ally at the end of the day. I realized too that when I went to churches that were toxic, that as we brought our own pride to God, as we brought ourselves to God and said to God, God, make this a place of your peace. The God was able to teach me how to rest peacefully, even in toxic work environments, in painful home environments. And God can do that for each of us. As we learn to say to God, God, you guide me step by step and you let me feel safe. And then it says too that he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Quiet waters, therefore, is just the opposite of storms. Rock turbulent waters that the sheep cannot feed on. Fast rushing waters that the sheep will surely sink in. Once again, it talks about the turbulence of life. That even when life is turbulent, when we submit ourselves to God, I think one of the most important things is to say to God, God, you teach me the next step. Your will be done. Our natural inclination is to fight back. When we are in a toxic work environment, we want to fight the, fight the colleagues who cause us harm. We, want, we allow our tempers to take over from us. We want to retort angrily or sabotage those who attack us. But if we were to lay it all before God and to say to God, God, you are my shepherd. God, you provide the ways out for me. Even in the moments of greatest annoyance and irritation, God, you protect me and you lead me to quiet waters where I will be refreshed. You see, as long as we fight our own battles, as long as we want things our way, our souls will grow dry and tired and parched. It is when we say to God, God, even in this situation, lead me, calm me down, I surrender to you. It is in such situations that we find our souls refreshed, even if in the hottest of moments, we say to God, God, let me love him. Teach me to respect my boss. Teach me to honour my husband. Teach me to love and embrace my wife. Teach me not to exasperate my children or to scream at them irrationally. But help me to really love those you have placed around me. 
when we are able to submit ourselves in the situation to God and allow God to guide us each step of the way, we will discover that even when the circumstances do not change drastically, there will be a refreshing in our souls. And you know, when you look back at your life, that is what is most important. It is not about having a life that is conflict-free, a life that is trouble-free. It's never going to happen. But what you're going to have is a refreshed soul when we begin to learn to submit to God. And then he says he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. David ought to know this because one of his biggest problems is walking the wrong paths. You know, David was no saint. He made terrible mistakes. They were not just mistakes, they were obvious sins. Take, for example, his rape of Bathsheba. It wasn't, con- it wasn't adultery with Bathsheba as we always put it so nicely, like it was consensual. Certainly wasn't consensual. David summoned Bathsheba into his bedroom and he did things for her. And then he killed her husband. Can you imagine consensual? I really don't think so. He did the worst thing possible. He raped a woman and murdered her husband. And yet, when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about it, he did the right thing. And he confessed his sin. He, he wanted to make things right both with Bathsheba as well as with the clan, with his army, he knew he was wrong. And I'm sure at some point he knew then that God was leading him, but he had completely walked out on God. It teaches us though that even when we have committed grievous sin, that if we were to say to God, God, you please lead me, lead me to do the right thing, God will lead us. That wasn't David's only sin. Subsequently, when his half-brother, when when his two sons, two half-brothers, Amnon, um, raped Tamar, his half-sister, and Absalom, Taman's real brother, was enraged, David did not discipline his son, but rather left things alone left things to such a point that things came to a head and Absalom killed his brother Amnon and, 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 um, and then he went after David also in bitterness, in vengeance. So much resentment within the home. It was very much David's undoing. He did, he did not as a father discipline his children. And that led to a civil war. And yet God guided him after that. When David turned to God, God guided him in the right ways. David also disobeyed God when God told him not to do a census, and he did. For that, a terrible plague fell on David's people. Once again, David was repentant. He fell on his face, he fell flat before God, and he repented. You see, the reality is that God does lead us all the time. But it's for us to say, I will follow you. And yet each time when we fail to follow God and we go on our own way and bring destruction upon ourselves and our loved ones and those around us, 
God continues to stand by us to say, Anytime I will be your guide. And the moment we turn around and say, God, I've messed up so badly. Leave me now, Lord. God will do that. And so as, God, as David looked back on hindsight, he realized that God was always there to guide him. And that's also important for all of us. It's never too late. And always when we depend on God, God will redeem the situation. You know, for us, the biggest enemy are not the external enemies, they are the internal enemies. Remember the number of times you have said wrong things, bad things, mean things, demeaning things? Things that would have started huge conflict. There's times when we could have avoided it with the wisest of words or the kindest of words. And we would have avoided, averted serious conflict. We would have brought peace, but we chose instead to listen to our anger. And we lashed out in anger, in pride. And we messed things up big time. How often we have made things far worse than they could have been. And we know that we need God to guide us. Very often the actions, actions of selfishness, wrong direction. We are often our worst enemies. We do stupid things just as David did. And on hindsight, we, we know how much we depend on God to help us to do the right thing. <clears throat> but perhaps the worst enemy is our thoughts, are our thoughts. Because our thoughts are the ones that affect and influence our actions and our words. And so often we come to bad conclusions. We suspect people of things that they may not have intended, they may not have done. We accuse people of wrong motives when they had the purest of motives. We plot. We are jealous. We are unfaithful. We entertain thoughts that we are most ashamed of. And often these are the thoughts that get us into the worst of troubles. Like David, we ought to say to God all the time, God, guide the way I think. Help me to think the way the things that I should think and to stop thinking the things that I should not think. Stop me from wicked, jealous, filthy thoughts. Set my mind on the right things, on the good things. And then guard my tongue and my actions. God guides us along the right paths because that's the way he is for his namesake. And then he goes on to say, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We live in very, very dark times. Just the COVID alone. You know, I've heard from a dear friend how he's so concerned for the seniors, those 80 and above, or maybe even slightly below 80, who now can't go to church, who, can't, who dare not go to church, who dare not meet together, who are so isolated from their friends and it's like the darkest moments. And those who dare take the risk end up often dying alone in hospital, a painful death far from their loved ones because their loved ones can't go near them. It's heart breaks for them. I feel very much the way he feels for them too. These are dark days. They are days walking through the darkest valley. But there are others who feel terrible too, the ones who have lost their jobs, ones who have 
who have lost their businesses. And for many young people, it's also about the climate change and the disaster that's coming and the unwillingness of the powers that be to take action to stop it because they are the ones who suffer the least. But we fear for our children especially, fear for climate change because they will be the ones who who will face the apocalypse, the fires, the droughts, the floods, the disasters that come from climate change. Indeed, it seems like we are walking straight into the darkest valley. One of the things then that we realise is that darkest valleys are inevitable. David had to walk through them, the sheep had to walk through them. They could not be avoided. But even as we walk through the darkest valley, whether it is the COVID, or whether it is climate change, or whether it is our personal circumstances, there is a God who comforts us. <coughs> your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God holds strong weapons that will protect us. God walks with us. And it is that assurance, it is that asking God and saying to God, God, you know, I'm walking to the worst of circumstances. I see 20, 30 years ahead of me and it's going to be an apocalypse. There's going to be fires, there's going to be droughts, there's going to be heat waves, there's going to be hurricanes, there's going to be unexpected climate disasters. And I'm walking right into it. And the only assurance we have is that in this life, even in this life, God is with us. I have many stories actually of, um, of how God walked with those in prison who faced most trying circumstances. And God will hold their hand and say, walk with me. I hope that at the end of many years, this will also be your testimony. That as I held the hand of God, as God held my hand, I could face difficulties every day. And I came out fearless, fearing far less, because God was with me. You know, sometimes we look at a typical day and there are days when things, everything goes wrong. Your colleagues angry with you, your bosses scold you, your your subordinates show insubordination to you. You hurt your daughter, you say the wrong thing to your son and he rebels against you. In anger, you shout at him and your wife thinks it's her and she gets after you too. Where everything goes bad for your life. That too looks like a dark valley. But know that as you throw yourself into the arms of God and say, God, just hold me because I can not... I just can't even think of a way out. God, I just throw myself at you. That when at the end of the day, so often we can look back and we say, God, you you were with me and you held my hand. See, the reality of faith uh, is not that it is like faith in and required of us. Faith is something that is developed day by day. When each day you find that God's presence with you comforts you. You grow stronger and bolder. Your faith grows stronger and you're able to take more difficult paths. 
because you're more and more confident of God being present with you. So take each day as God toughening us, training us how to trust Him, showing us that He is the trustworthy God, that even in the worst of days, God's present with you, and His rod and His staff, they will comfort you. As you reflect on this psalm then, I pray then that you may also pray this prayer of submission to God, believing a little at a time that God really brings you, makes you to lie down in green pastures, leads you beside still waters, He restores your soul, and that He will guide your way because that's the way He does things for us. And in the toughest of moments, you need not fear because when you look back, you realize that He's always been with you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this testimony of David, King David, who, though going through so many tribulations of external enemies, of self inflicted problems, of internal fights, that as he had such a difficult life, that you led him one stage to another, one event to the other. That at the end of his life, he could look back and he could say, You are my shepherd, and I lacked nothing. Father, we thank you that though he had such a difficult life, he could look back and he could say, you lifted me. I pray that this will also be our testimony as we learn from him, as we place his testimony into our hearts. That we may trust you also to keep us safe, to lie down in safety, even in green pastures, in the midst of enemies, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of hostile situations. That you will give us rest that you will restore our soul. I pray too that as we face the difficult, the biggest challenge of, of all our own thoughts and our words and our deeds, that you will be our guide and we will always keep submitting to you, allowing you to guide our minds, allowing you to temper our tongues and our hands and our feet, obeying you believing that it is in obedience that we find safety because you are the wise and loving God. Father, let this be our habit as well. And God, that as we go through really difficult times and sometimes fearing that nothing good will come out of it, we may walk these valleys and know that you are with us and that you protect us. So Lord, lead us day by day and teach us to really trust you and as we trust you to submit to you and to obey you, knowing that you have our welfare, you have our best interest in your heart. And coming to the point where we believe and we know that you have our interests before your own interests, that you love our, you care for our welfare more than your own welfare. 
And you showed that when you offered your son to die for us when we least deserved it. Let this truth sink into us too, that we may daily be able to say, You are our shepherd. We lack nothing. I pray this for all my brothers and sisters who are here with us. So I pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well then, have a great week ahead. God bless you. Goodbye.